As cool as it was for me to be here and to be around these pastors and to be uh, encouraged myself by uh, the preaching and the teaching, it was even more encouraging for me as your pastor, City Baptist, for me to watch and to see you uh, give sacrificially to help pastors come to this conference. We were able to help pay for several pastors just to be here. And that was just so cool, flying them from Toronto and different places. It was amazing for me to be able to uh, just sort of stand back and watch so many of you come early uh, every single morning and set up and get the coffee going and getting donuts ready. Coffee and donuts, that's, a two, that's how pastors operate, coffee and donuts. Uh, that's, just, that's all we need and we're good to go. Uh, but to see you come early and stay late and work together as a church to be a blessing to those that have given their lives to serve Jesus Christ. You know, church family, we must always be a church that is thankful for someone who would be willing to leave aside maybe a corporate lifestyle in order to pursue Christ and to follow him and to serve them with their whole life. We need to be thankful for that. And so it was a blessing for me to see you as a church family come together and be uh, praying for them. And it didn't matter if you were setting up chairs, uh, holding doors open for people, uh, putting out food, picking up food, leading in worship, cleaning the washrooms. All of us were working together for the singular purpose and with a singular focus. And it was to serve these pastors and serve these ministry workers and serve their families so that they could be refreshed and helped. And I got to tell you, I was so proud of you, church family, and I was so excited and thankful that you served so well. And you really did make a huge difference and made a blessing, a blessing for them. And as I was reflecting on the week, I couldn't help but think about how wonderful it is to be people and to be a part of something that is focused around a singular goal. You know, if you've ever been a part of a, a sports team or you volunteered for uh, some sort of an event or you've been involved in a special project at work or a special project at school, you know that there's a lot of joy and fulfillment that comes from being a part of something where everyone is focused towards the same thing. Everyone has a singular focus. We all have a singular goal. Uh, I love team meetings. You know, you meet together and say, hey, we're going to kill these, uh, beat these guys. That's what we're going to do today, you know, and, and we have this goal, like this is what we're going to try to do, and everyone has personal goals, but all of those goals move toward a singular focus, and there's some joy and there's fulfillment that comes from it, and I want to tell you today, that's exactly what God desires for the local church. God desires that we would be a group of people who come together with a singular goal, with a focused heart to work together to accomplish what God has called and what God has enabled the local church to do. And I'm so thankful that God has brought us together. See, one of the greatest things about being a part of a local body of believers, as Julius talked about, the part of being a part of a local body of believers that gather together is that God has allowed us to be together because we don't want to go through life alone. God did not call us all as individuals to go out and to, you know, try to change the world by yourself. God has called us as a church to make a difference in this world. And we get to work together and love together and serve together and, and give together and this morning, as we begin our ninth year of ministry, remember last week was our anniversary. I almost forgot about it. There was so much that happened in between. But this Sunday begins our ninth year of ministry here in this city. And as we begin it together as a church, I'd like for us just to be reminded about a few things, about the heart, God's heart and God's purpose for us as his church. And I ask you to turn to Philippians chapter 4 with me because I want to show you here how Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, encourages them with the thoughts of being people and a church that is steadfast, a church that is focused as one mind, a church that has one heart, and a church that is willfully serving the Lord together. And so we begin in Philippians chapter 4. I'll begin reading in verse number 1 for us. 
where Paul says this, he says, therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and long for my joy and crown, he says this, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Now, I want you to notice there at the very beginning, whenever you see the word therefore, it is a connecting word uh, that links the current passage with the previous passage. As, I, as a kid growing up, uh, my dad, who was my pastor, used to always say, if you see the word therefore, you need to think about what it's there for. And so you need to look, and it helps you connect the two things. And that's what is happening here. He is connecting a thought from chapter 3. And we're not going to go back and read through all of Philippians 3, but basically, Paul is uh, helping us to focus our attention on the fact that as believers in Christ, our citizenship is not here on earth, but we are citizens of heaven. And so he says, I want you to remember that this world is not your home. Uh, This is uh, just a temporary location for us. But because we are citizens of heaven, we must uh, live and serve and uh, follow and act as citizens of heaven because we are representations. We are Christ's representations here on this earth. And that's something to be honored. It's an honor, honestly, to think that God would allow us to be his representatives here on this planet. I mean, that's pretty amazing. You are his representative. Think about that. With all of your good character traits and all of your faults, you are a representation. You are to live your life representing Jesus Christ. And so he says, therefore, so based on that fact, based on the fact that you are a representation of Christ on this earth, we see here, first of all, that we are to stand fast in the Lord. He says, stand fast in the Lord. Look again at verse, uh, verse number one there. He says, therefore, my brethren... Dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Now, it's obvious in this verse here that Paul had great joy in his relationship with the people in Philippi. Do you notice that there in the part of the verse? Look, look at the very beginning. He says, my brethren, dearly beloved, he says that twice. He says that they're his joy and his crown. And he had a great joy in the churches that he had planted. Philippi was one of those that he played a huge role in. So he's writing to them and he says, I I love you guys, I care for you guys, I'm excited for what uh, you are to do, but at the same time, he's concerned that they would be people who stand fast in the Lord. You see that there? He says, I love you, you're great, Uh, I miss you so much, but I want you to remember this, stand fast in the Lord. One of Paul's greatest concerns that we see throughout the books and the letters that he wrote was that he was concerned that his followers or the people that were a part of the churches that he established would simply stand fast and not forget the things that he had taught them. And so he says to them, I want you to stand fast. Now, I think you'd agree with me this morning that we live in a world full of constant change, don't we? Just think about the last couple of years, how much our world has, I mean, drastically changed. The world that my children are growing up in is drastically different than the world that I grew up in. I so appreciate the message on Wednesday night, and if you have a chance, you can go back and and watch it and listen to it from Pastor Eric Levia, who preached for us last Sunday, and he preached a message on how we need to be willing to reach this Canada, not the Canada of 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 20 years ago, but what it is right now, and it's radically changed from even just when I grew up. Some of you, you've seen Canada changed extremely ever since you immigrated here to this country. And you're like, man, this is not the country I immigrated to. This is completely different. And yet as Christians, it does not matter how much the culture changed. The fact is we're to remain the same, aren't we? We're to be steadfast. We're to continue on in the things that God has called us to do. 
And so Paul here is saying, listen, though the world is quickly shifting away from biblical principles and biblical morality, if it ever had any part of that, as believers, as followers of Christ, we are to stand fast. We're to continue on. The problem is, though, is that the shift that we see in our culture is not only in the world that is out there, but you and I know that there's also a great shift that happens even within those that call themselves Christians, within churches, uh, even around our country that claim to be a uh, people who are Christ followers, but there's also a great deal of shifting and changing within the modern Christian church. I mean, what I've seen in my lifetime is uh, denominations and church groups of people that once maybe held to some biblical principles, changing their uh, direction in biblical morality. Uh, we see theologians downplaying the importance of uh, key Bible doctrines, and the result is that there are many people who name the name of Christ, but as Jesus said, they are far from him. And they say, yes, I'm a follower of him, but their lives are void of any biblical conviction at all. See, this was very commonplace in the Apostle Paul's world, and it's commonplace today. And so that's why Paul, when he begins this chapter, he says to them, I love you guys, but I want to make sure that you are going to stand fast in the Lord. And he says here, and he encourages them to stand fast, which means to stand firm, to persevere, to persist, to keep one standing. In other words, Paul is encouraging us here to simply to continue on, to stand firm, to don't stop pursuing Christ, don't stop living for the Lord, don't stop having a godly testimony in this world, don't stop serving, uh, don't uh, stop telling others about Jesus Christ, don't stop praying, don't stop giving, since just continue on in the things that you have been taught. I think of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, he says that we are to continue thou, that's you, continue in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. See, church, we need to be people that are going to continue to follow the Lord in all things. Continue to follow on. Don't get discouraged. Keep standing fast for the Lord. And so don't, don't be swayed of, uh, with everything that's going on in our world today. We need to hold strong and stay fast to those convictions. I love this verse because it always reminds me of what I was taught uh, growing up. It reminds me of what I was taught as, as a young man in a Christian university, and it reminds me of the truths that I've learned in my own study, in my own pursuit of Christ. Stand fast in those things. Stand fast in those things. We must continue on. See, the evidence of a faithful believer is not in what they change, but in how they stand for the truth. Now listen, I get that there are methods and, 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 and ways that we do things that change throughout the years, but the mission is still the same. The truth of the word of God is still the same. We're still to uphold it, and though the world around us is changing, and though your circumstances may change, we need to stay true to the word of God and what he has called us to do. And so Paul says, let's stand fast. And I want to encourage you today, would you stand fast? Would you stand fast? It could be that some of you maybe are, are struggling in this area. So many Christians are uh, changing their beliefs to adapt to the culture. They're changing uh, what they once held strong to. They don't look at this life with a biblical viewpoint. And, and they try to add all of these things in. They give in to the temptation. And I get the temptations, guys. The temptation to blend our, our faith with the world's philosophy and the mindset and the popular opinions. But God's plan has never been for his people to just fit in with the flow of culture. We're always been, we've always been the countercultural ones. We've always been the ones that stood up against uh, the, the, the immorality and against the worldly philosophy that is out there. And so we need to stand fast. That is what God desires for us. He says, listen, stand fast. And I want you to notice, though, here, in the Lord. Now, that's a key phrase there. 
Those three words are key for us because he doesn't say stand fast in your own ideas. Stand fast in what you want to do, you know. Stand fast in, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, whatever's cool. No, no, he says stand fast in the Lord. And you know what that means? That means that's in our God who never changes. Our God is not a moving target. He is a fixed point, isn't he? We can always look to him. And for these last 2,000 years of, of modern church history, Jesus is the same. He's the same yesterday, the same today, and he's the same forever. And we can trust him, and we can look to him, and we can stand fast to him. So many people in our world today are looking for confidence in something, aren't they? They're looking for identity. They're searching for identity in all sorts of things. But as believers, we don't need to uh, look around and try to figure out where we can find our confidence and our identity. Our identity is in Jesus Christ, and that never changes. And so he says, I want you to stand fast in the Lord. Now, that's not necessarily super easy, is it? It's not like it just comes naturally to us. We are naturally rebellious against the things of God. We're naturally uh, resist. But the way that we can do that is simply by, as Scripture teaches us, to die to self, to put on Christ. Later on in in Ephesians chapter 6, to put on the whole armor of God so that we may be able to stand. And God gives us what we need to continue to stand and live for the truth today, and it is in Him. And so God gives us what we need. It just takes us actively pursuing Him And making him as our North Star, where we're headed, the direction that we're headed into. And it needs to be Christ and Christ alone. And so Paul is speaking to this young church. And he says to them, I want you to stand fast. And this is so essential for a church that desires to serve together. It is essential for us as believers and those that make up City Baptist Church that uh, we would remain true to our God that we would remain true to his word and remain true to our calling. And it's going to take us determining that we're going to stand fast and we're going to stand fast in the truth of God. Now, Paul encourages us with that. And, and you say, man, pastor, you're pretty fired up about it today. I am fired up about it because that's good. To, we need to be reminded of that. I need to be reminded of that, that we have a foundation that is sure and secure and it's God. And so he says, I want you to stand fast. But notice he continues Secondly, he says, I want you to be of one mind in the Lord. So we're to stand fast in the Lord. We're to not be moving, but we also need to be of one mind in the Lord. Look at verse number two. He says, I beseech Iodias and I beseech Sintichi. That's how you say that word. Say it with me. Sintichi. All right, those of you young parents, those of you hoping to be parents one day, you can circle that one and put it in the back of your notebook, you know, baby names. Uh, and uh, these were, we're introduced here to two ladies within the church there at Philippi. So Iodias and Sintichi. Now notice this. Paul is beseeching them. That means I implore you, I beg you. What is he asking them? That they be of the same mind in the Lord. He says, I ask that these two women within the church would be of the same mind. And then he says, in the Lord. You notice that? So what is he getting at? Well, He is getting at a situation that was taking place there in the church family, and obviously it involved two women within the church. Now, it must not have been like a major issue um, because it's not even mentioned really till the end in the last chapter of the letter as he's kind of wrapping things up. And notice here, Paul doesn't tell us who's right or who's wrong. Did you notice that? He's like, hey, tell Iodias to get right and Sintichi, you're right. (laughs) You know, He, he didn't say that at all. He just says that there's a situation, there's something that's happening 
And Paul's concern is that simply they would resolve the issue and move forward with the same mind. That means move forward with the same focus in the Lord. Here's what he's trying to say. The unity of the church, the relational unity within the body of Christ should be at its very highest concern. If we look back to Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, he talks about how to fulfill you my joy, be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, and being of one mind. It's again the idea of being unified. Now, what do we understand about this? What is Paul trying to get at? What we understand is that it is inevitable is that there will be personality conflicts, mis- misunderstandings, and hurt feelings within a church family. Did you know that when you walk in the doors of City Baptist Church, you do not become a perfect person right when you walk in the doors? Now, some of you think that way, right? Because you fight in the car until you get here and you walk through the door and it's like, I love Jesus. <laughs> a bunchy bunchy, you know, <laughs> like, oh, that's only married couples. Okay. All right. <laughs> some of you don't understand, but that happens sometimes, you know, the kids are just, yeah, anyway, you get it. And then they walk in the door and it's just little angels, right? But that doesn't happen, does it? When we come to church... We are still sinners saved by grace. Uh, We still struggle. We still uh, have issues. (laughs) But these issues that come up, maybe a hurt feeling or a misunderstanding, personality conflicts, these issues are not to be things that we hold on to. They're not to be ammunition that we use against each other. Conflict and issues that come up within a body of Christ are to be specifically a way to demonstrate the grace of God through biblical forgiveness and restoration. This is not something, I think sometimes when you come to a church, and and some of you are new to City Baptist today, and and you're still kind of like figuring it out, uh, there may come a time that you are, uh, that maybe you misunderstand somebody, or you're misunderstood, or there's uh, something that's said, or it just maybe doesn't sit right with you, and your immediate reaction to that is always resist, right? Okay, I'm never going back to that church. They, 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 They hurt me. They said, you know, whatever it may be, or somebody said something wrong, or it didn't quite connect with you, and our immediate is to resist, but I want to tell you that when those kind of things happen in a church body, it's an opportunity for the grace of God to work in us. God says that you are to forgive, right? Guess what that means? You're going to have an opportunity to forgive. How many of you are thankful you're forgiven of your sin? You can put your hand up. That's me, two hands up. I am. And we are to forgive as Christ forgave us. So that means there's going to be opportunities for that. And so conflict and issues and difficulties come, but it should be a demonstration of the grace of God, not a demonstration of our sinful flesh. See, God cares so deeply about the unity of the church. And we must be people who have the same heart as God, that we will work and we will desire to unify with each each other. We'll have the willingness to do whatever it takes to resolve conflict for the sake of unity. Now, I realize if you're like me, uh, conflict and confront, uh, confrontation and working things out is not in my nature. I'm always scared about it. I'm like, let's just let it sit for a while. Maybe it'll go away, right? <laughs> that never works, by the way. <laughs> let's just pretend it didn't happen. Some of you have lived your whole life like that. That's how your parents resolve conflict. That's how you resolve conflict. Let's pretend like it doesn't exist until it eventually does exist again, right? And it's not natural to us. I, I recognize that. But if we don't deal with the issue of unity within the church body, it will be harmful to the overall health and to the growth of a church. Even if nobody else knows about it, even if it's something that you just need to deal with in your own heart, and you need to forgive first, by the way, 
Forgiveness, if we just remember forgiveness for a moment, forgiveness is not the other person proving they're worthy of your forgiveness. Forgiveness is what you extend to them, regardless of how they continue to act and respond. Forgiveness is given. Just as Christ forgave us and we didn't deserve it. And so we give forgiveness. But the point is, is that if there's a struggle with that, if there's disunity, it can cause difficulties to the health of the church. Some of you have maybe been a part of churches that were very unhealthy because of unresolved conflict. Some of you know what it's like to be in a family, maybe, where there's unresolved conflict and the pressure and the, the, the weight that is with it. Listen, the church should not operate in that way, just like a family should not operate in that way. We should be unified together. And if there's an injury within the church or there's a conflict or a misunderstanding, even if the two parties themselves just try to ignore it and don't deal with it, try to pretend like nothing's wrong, there's still pain and there can be a hindrance to the church. That's why we must follow Christ's teachings in Matthew chapter 18. If you have your Bible, let's turn over there. I want to read it to you. Matthew 18 is probably the, I would say it is the best passage to go to when there's conflict and misunderstanding and hurt feelings. Matthew 18 is where we go. It is Jesus giving his disciples specifically what to do. In verse number 15, Jesus says, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. This is a biblical principle right here. If there's an issue, if there's a problem, if something has come up, you need to go to that person alone and say, hey, you hurt my feelings, or you said this and I felt like I was misunderstood, or you misunderstood me, whatever it may be. So you go to them first of all. Verse 16, but if he will not hear thee, so he says, get that out of here. Like, (laughs) that's not real, you know? Or is rude about it or won't meet up with you. Then it says... Take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Verse 17, and if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. This right here is the biblical way to deal with conflict and disunity within a church. You go one to one. If there is a rejection of that, then you get some other people involved. And that's just not your friends, you know, and you're all like swinging chains and got hammers. You know, that's not, that's not it at all, okay? It's not an intimidation move. Uh, you bring someone biblical, maybe someone not connected to the situation at all. You bring one of our leadership or myself. You bring somebody into the situation who you trust, who walks with God. And you go to that person. And if they still reject it and they still will not repent if there's a sin issue or, some, or they, st- they just, you know, I don't believe you, whatever it may be. Then it says that you bring it to the church family. And if they won't listen to the church, then church discipline comes into play and they're removed from the membership or the body of the the church. Now, I've been a pastor's kid my whole life. I still am, actually. And uh, I can remember one time in my whole life, which I'm getting kind of old, I remember one time in my whole life that I actually experienced something being brought to the church one time in my whole life. What does that tell us? It tells us that if somebody follows Matthew 18, it rarely needs to go to even step number two. But the problem is if we avoid step number one, which is simply going to them and say, hey, you know what? You really hurt my feelings when you said that. Or I, I, or, and I've done this many times in my life. Go to somebody and say, listen, I feel like maybe you misunderstood what I said. And, and just trying to make things right. 
You guys know what it's like to have a conversation with somebody, and at the end of the conversation, you're just rolling through your head. You're like, ah, why did I say that? I'm such a jerk, you know? I can't believe I said that. <laughs> Whatever it may be. And just go in and say, hey, I'm sorry, you know, I, I felt, did I offend you? I felt like I want to make things right. And what's so great about being a part of the body of Christ is that I've found in my own life when that happens, when that happens, you can make things right. You can make things right. But you've got to take step number one. And the reason we do that is because unity is so important. Unity is so important. The problem is, is that when you go to your friends and say, hey, they, really, they said this, they hurt my feelings, and then you get them all frustrated and upset, and then they tell their friends, and that's just nothing but, as Scripture calls gossip, that's what it is, sowing discord among the brethren. Then you kind of get a little following, right? Because we all want to have somebody on our side. And it just becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, and it can really hurt the body of Christ. But we're to be people for unity. That's why Paul says, hey, those two ladies, I know they got an issue. <laughs> they need to work it out. Now, you might say, Pastor, what is happening? <laughs> you know, what is happening in our church? I'm so concerned. For, I'm grieved for our church that you have to talk about this. Nothing that I know of. Nothing at all. But this is the Bible, so we're going to preach the Bible, right? We're going to talk about it because I know that, and God knows that these are kind of things that come up that bring disunity. You know, Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, the Holy Spirit is like a dove, and doves like quiet places. They do not come where there is noise and strife. I thought that was really good. Listen, we want to be a church where the Holy Spirit is at work in us. We want to be a place where God and his word is, is held up and we are challenged and we're uh, making decisions and we're reaching people with the gospel and God is doing a great work through us. And it's not going to happen when we are in disunity. And if we're going to continue moving forward for Christ, if our ninth year together as a church is going to be one of spiritual growth and numerical growth and having a greater impact in our city, then we must have the same mind in the Lord, unified, not willing to sacrifice unity for our conflict, and so we work things out. But then lastly, we see here, Paul encourages them simply to work together for the Lord. To work together for the Lord. Look at verse number three. He says, and I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Now, Paul is dealing with this issue. He asks somebody, he calls him his yoke fellow. Uh, we don't know who that is. It could have been Epaphroditus. We know he was very instrumental in that early church. Uh, but he calls on somebody, he says, I want you to help these ladies. Now, notice what he says here about them. Help those women which labored with me in the gospel. So these women were very instrumental in the gospel ministry there in that church. And so these are people that were maybe in leadership, people that were involved. And he says, hey, this yoke fellow, he calls him, he gives him a nickname. In the New Testament, church, by the way, they change people's names all the time. You know, like, like, uh, like if somebody was known for a certain thing, you know, like Christian, we'd be like, we'd just call him Joyful all the time. That'd be his name. And today we name you Joyful, Christian. Sound good? All right. Don't, nobody call him Christian today. He's Joyful. And they would do that in the early church all the time. We saw that with, with Barnabas, others, their names would be changed. And, uh, and so this guy right here is called a yoke fellow, which is interesting, but it's somebody who comes along somebody else and encourages them and in this case, he says, I want you to help them with the conflict, but also later on, it's the idea of uh, moving forward in the gospel. Notice Paul calls him a true yoke fellow, which means sincere or genuine uh, of legitimate birth, meaning they are real. So what we understand is that this person was somebody who knew the Lord as their Savior. They were walking with God. Uh, they were true, and they were sincere in their labor for the gospel. But then notice here, he says, 
Also, others, he talks about others that are a yoke fellow and also fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. What do we see from this? Paul here is painting a picture for us of his thankfulness for those that had come alongside of him to labor together in the gospel. Those that were sincere in their attitudes, those who truly had a love for Christ and the work that he was doing within the church. See, the health and the success of a local church depends on the willingness of the members to come alongside and work together for the cause of the gospel. And this is what I want us to understand, that we are to work together in the Lord. And if you are a believer this morning, God's desire is that you would get involved in a local church. We see this picture painted for us right here in verse number three of people that come along together and work and serve. Uh, Scripture uses the word labor for the gospel. You know, there's a stat that uh, pastors like to throw around sometimes, and it's relatively accurate, I would say, but they say that oftentimes in churches that 20% of the members do 80% of the work and giving and serving and, and, and just getting involved. Now, that's, like, that's kind of a common uh, generic, uh, and it's based off of some studies a few years ago. I would say that's probably off balance for City Baptists, for sure. I don't think that's accurate. But certainly, you and I would agree that oftentimes it's a minority of the church family that's really doing the bulk of the labor and the work and the serving and the giving. But the idea of a yoke, the idea of, uh, of course, we have the idea of oxen. I even got a great picture for you here of some oxen, you know, pulling something with a yoke. The idea of a yoke is that it connects two uh, oxen together to move forward in one direction, and they can do so much more together than they can alone. I forget exactly what the stat is, but like basically two oxen can pull like three or four times the amount that one oxen can pull on their own. So like more than doubles it, their, their capacity and their ability to work together, and that's what it is in the local church. We are to come alongside one another, we're all headed in the same direction, and we're pulling and we're moving, and we're able then to accomplish more for the Lord than if we were just trying to do it by ourselves. In 1 Corinthians, it tells us that we should be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That means that all that we do together, all of the sacrifice, all of the uh, giving, and all of the serving, everything that we do together helps point us and move our church forward in the direction that God would have us to go. Listen, the work of the Lord in this city is far too important for us who labor together to just waste time and energy not heading in the same direction or to be fighting or dealing or in disunity. The idea here is that we are unified, that we're moving together. Every person's playing a part. Everyone has the same passion and goal. You might be saying, well, pastor, I can't do what, you know, what, what Christian does or I can't do what, what others do. That, that's not the point. The point is that we all have a willful heart, a desire to serve and to work for the Lord. There's so many distractions that our enemy brings into our lives, isn't there? There's so much that keeps us from being focused and strong in the Lord. But when we truly do commit to having a life and a mind of unity, striving together for the faith of the gospel in Philippians chapter one, we can really see God do some amazing things through our local church. And so as we enter this fall season together and our ninth year together as a church family, I want to encourage you to understand why we exist, to understand why we are here. City Baptist Church is not a spectator sport. Does that make sense? 
means we want to be a group of people that are serving together, that are on mission together, that are moving forward together. And I want to encourage you with that thought, that we are here to serve as co-laborers for the faith and for the calling of the gospel. We are not meant to go through life alone, and God did not call us to just sit back and, uh, and watch the world go by. God has given us a mission as a local church to reach people with the gospel. And it is a privilege to serve God together, isn't it? It's a privilege to serve the Lord together. You know, maybe for some of you, you started to maybe fall away a little bit. Maybe in your philosophy or in your, just your mindset around the things of God. You've kind of allowed maybe a worldly mindset and maybe some of the temptations of the world that we live in to kind of creep into your heart and into your mind and you're struggling with standing fast. You're struggling with standing fast. This morning I want to encourage you simply to take what Paul said and strive together for the gospel, to stand fast in what God has called us to do. It could be that for some of you, you've been on the sidelines for a long time. You know, with COVID and everything that happened, you've been struggling. Maybe you haven't been in church for a couple of years. Can I encourage you this morning to recommit yourself to being a part of what God is trying to do in this city. And the best way to do that is through the ministry and being a part of a local New Testament church. Maybe some of you need to start serving again. Maybe some of you need to join a church. I think City Baptist is a great church, by the way. Maybe you need to join City Baptist, become a member and say, hey, I, you know, I, I'm committed. I, I want to commit myself to what God is doing here. Maybe some of you need to begin to, uh, like you maybe once did, give financially to support the work of God in this city. I don't, I don't know what it is, but, of any, but above anything else, I want to encourage you this morning to let's just have the same mind that Paul talks about here in these verses. And we're going to stand fast. We're going to be unified together. And we're going to work together for the cause of the gospel. You know, as I mentioned at the very beginning, it was so amazing to see our church family come together unified. And here's what was so cool, is that we are co-hosting the conference with another church, a church from North Vancouver. And so we had their volunteers and our volunteers. And as Narissa was telling me before the service, it was seamless. We all just came together. Why? Because we had a singular purpose. We had a singular goal. And that's what God has for the local church, where we're all serving together. We're not standing back and being like, all right, let's see. Uh, let's see what happens. Or, hey, everybody else just do everything. I just want to come and enjoy. No, we want to be an involved, growing, serving church together. And I want to tell you something. That's one of the most fulfilling things you could ever do is to get involved and serve the Lord with a group of people that love him as well. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's one of the best things you could ever do. And so I want to challenge you with that this morning. Let's be people who are working together. I keep mentioning Philippians 1.27. I want to read this to you. Only let your conversation that's your lifestyle be as it becomes the gospel of christ that whether i come and see you or else be absent i may hear of your affairs says, whether i'm there or not i just want to hear how you're doing and this is what i want to hear that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving that's laboring together for the faith of the gospel that was paul's command and call to the church and it's our call today as we begin our ninth year of ministry together let's stand together let's strive together and let's see god do great things in this city let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning for a time of reflection and i think the message is pretty clear are you standing fast for the lord are you being caught up in a movement do you find yourself drifting and falling away would today be the day that you commit that i'm going to stand fast 
I'm going to stand fast in the Lord. Maybe you're not walking in unity with other believers. Maybe you need to forgive, or maybe there's someone you need to go to and ask forgiveness. Would you commit to obey Christ and resolve this? Would you not allow it to hinder your spiritual walk with the Lord? Are you striving together? Are you in the yoke? We always say, are you in the yoke? Are you alongside of your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you still on the sidelines? You've just been waiting. You've been watching, and God's maybe been working in your life. And today, maybe it's that day that you commit and say, God, you know, I'm going to get back involved. I'm going I'm to start serving again. I'm going to start giving again. I'm going to start striving with my brothers and sisters. I'm going to get involved with what you're doing here in this city. In whatever way it is that God has spoken to you, would you just take a moment of Christian play for just a, a moment here, and I want you to spend some time in prayer with the Lord. We just reach out to God and say, God, this is how you've spoken to me. And would you commit and serve him today?